the second reading is from 1 Corinthians chapter 6, which is on page 1053. If any of you has a legal dispute against another, do you dare go to court before the unrighteous and not before the saints? Or don't you know that the saints will judge the world? And if the world is judged by you, are you unworthy to judge the smallest cases? Don't you know that we will judge angels, not to mention ordinary matters? So if you have cases pertaining to this life, do you select those who have no standing in the church to judge? I say this to your shame. Can it be that there is not one wise person among you who is able to arbitrate between his brothers? Instead, believer, goes, instead, believer goes to court against believer, and that before unbelievers. Therefore, to have legal disputes against one another is already a moral failure for you. Why, do you, why not rather put up with injustice? Why not rather be cheated? Instead, you act unjustly and cheat. And you do this to believers. Don't you know that the unrighteous will not inherit God's kingdom? Do not be deceived. No sexually immoral people, idolaters, adulterers, or anyone practicing homosexuality, no thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and by the Spirit of our God. Everything is permissible for me, but not everything is helpful. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be brought under the control of anything. Food for the stomach and the stomach for food, but God will do away with both of them. The body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. God raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Don't you know that your body is a part of Christ's body? So should, so should I take a part of Christ's body and make it a part of a prostitute? Absolutely not. Don't you know that anyone joined to a prostitute is one body with her? For scripture says, the two will become one flesh. But anyone joined to the Lord is one in spirit with him, or is one spirit with him. Run from sexual immorality. Every sin a person can commit is outside the body. On the contrary... The person who is sexually immoral sins against his own body. Don't you know that your body is a sanctuary of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us. Father God, we ask that the words that come out of my mouth today would be pleasing in your sight, truthful honest. Uh, We ask, Lord, that your spirit would take those words and do a a mighty work with them. Father, thank you that you know us. Thank you that you know what we need to hear. So teach us and transform us tonight, I pray. In Jesus' name. Amen. Do you know the the musical Les Miserables? The film Les Les Miserables? Put your hand where you've seen it. What? You haven't seen it? Oh, it's my favorite musical. Uh, If you know the musical, uh, it's a great story, isn't it? Like you've got this guy, uh, Jean Valjean, uh, and he's in jail. He's committed a crime. And then he's he's on parole, isn't he? And he he goes to the bishop's house and uh, he steals some silver. 
It's a great scene in, in um, Les Miserables where Jean Valjean is hauled back in front of the bishop and, and, and he, you expect him to be punished. You expect him to be treated harshly. But the bishop says these amazing words. He says, here's the rest of the silver as well. Now go and enjoy the rest of your life. And that moment is a moment of grace, isn't it? That moment is a moment where Jean Valjean is shown mercy and kindness that he does not deserve. And that moment in the, mo- in the film is the moment where Jean Valjean's life is completely and utterly turned around. Because from that moment on, he becomes a man who thinks about others. And he who has experienced grace shows grace to others. And he who has experienced mercy shows mercy to others. And he who has experienced kindness shows kindness to others. There's a great moment in the musical where he goes, Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? I'm Jean Valjean. And what he's saying there is, you know, I'm not 24601 anymore. That's my past life. That's who I was. But now I'm different. That's who I am. So let me ask you tonight, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? If you've met Jesus Christ, do you know who you are? If you've met Jesus Christ, do you understand? Do you comprehend what your identity is? If you've experienced God's grace and God's mercy and God's kindness, it is totally undeserved. Does that now define you and shape you? Does that actually dictate who you are and the way that you live and the choices that you make? If someone says to you, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Could you say, you know, I'm a Christian. I'm a Christian. See, see, the problem is that most of us let other people define us, don't we? Uh, We're told that you know, that we are useless. And that becomes who we are. And God says, no, you're not useless. You're my precious, beloved child. And people tell us that we're a lawyer. No, I'm not. I'm a Christian lawyer. And people tell us, you know, oh, you're just a teacher. No, I'm not just a teacher. I'm the Christian teacher who loves Jesus and have been saved by grace. Oh, you're just the mum. No, you're not just the mum. You're the Christian mum. Because your identity is not in what you do or not in what you look like or not in your, your shape or your physique or your illnesses or your health. Your, your identity is in Jesus, isn't it? Isn't that who defines you? Who are you? You're a follower of Christ. And I'm laboring this point at the beginning because if you don't understand that, you will not understand chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians. There's a repeated phrase in this chapter. It says, don't you know? It says, remember. Remember who you are. It says down in verse 9, don't you know? Have you forgotten that the unrighteous people will not inherit God's kingdom? But, But you're not unrighteous, are you? He says, don't be deceived. No sexually immoral people... No idolaters, no adulterers, or anyone practicing homosexuality. No thieves, greedy people, drunkards, verbally abusive people, or swindlers will inherit God's kingdom. Don't you know that? 
people who habitually and permanently choose to ignore God and live life their way, they won't inherit the kingdom. But that's not you. Look at verse 11. You were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. I love that verse. If you've come to Christ, you can stand here today and say, I'm a washed person. I'm a clean person. We just sung about it. What can wash away my sin? The answer? Nothing but the... So if you've trusted in the blood of Jesus, what, what are you? You're a, you're a washed person. You're a clean person. You're a cleansed person. You know that moment where you've been for a run or you're just a bit sweaty at the end of the day and you, you walk into the shower and you turn on the, the shower and you stand there and you, you, know, you watch sort of the dirt just sort of just gurgle down the plug hole. It's that beautiful feeling where like, I'm clean, I'm washed. That's how God sees you right now. He does not see your failings. He does not see your sin. You've been cleansed, you've been washed. He sees you as this perfectly clean person in Jesus. That's your identity. You're not defined by your sins, you know. You're not defined by your failures. You're defined by being a clean, washed person. What else are you? Verse 11. You are sanctified. The word means you're holy. You're set apart for God. You're set apart from the world. God looks at you and he says, that's my child. And he or she is holy and sanctified and set apart. And I want to say, God, I'm not holy. I'm far from holy. If you know me, you would say, Paul, you're not holy. But God says, of course you're holy. Of course you're, you're sanctified in my sight because you belong to Jesus. He says you were justified, you were declared not guilty, just as if you'd never sinned. God looks at you and says, on that last day when you stand before him as your judge, he'll say, you're not content, condemned, you're not guilty, you're forgiven, you're right you're clean in my sight. Let me ask you, how does that make you feel when, you, when I say you're washed, you're sanctified, you are justified? Don't you want to just go, wow. And again, I'm laboring this because I think we forget who we are in Jesus. We forget all the benefits of belonging to Jesus. It's so easy to preach a sermon telling you what to do and what not to do. But that's just law, isn't it? That's just legalism. This is an identity issue. You, you sit here tonight and you say, you know, God loves me, God has forgiven me, God has washed me, God has sanctified me, God has justified me. What else has he done? Don't you know, verse 15? Have you forgotten that your bodies are part of Christ's body? I have to acknowledge, I'm not quite sure I've got my head around that. I think he's saying, just like in marriage, you have one man and one woman, and the two become one flesh. So you've got Christ and his church, and the two become one flesh. But then individually, and in some way, we are one flesh with Jesus. That, is, that just blows my mind, you know. I married a couple, married Terence and Mandy here on Friday, and, you know, they walked into church as two individuals and they left as one. 
One in mind and one in body and one in spirit. And in some way, I am one with Christ and I am part of his body. I think that fleshes out in verse 19. He says, don't you know, have you forgotten that your body, this earthly body, is a, a temple? That makes you feel good, doesn't it, that your body is a temple? A temple to the Holy Spirit who is in you. God himself chooses to dwell in us. You're not your own, you know. We don't belong to ourselves. We belong to God because he bought us as a price. Uh, That language of verse 20 is the language of the the marketplace where the, the slaves were redeemed. The slaves were bought. We heard the story of Abraham Lincoln who is a... walking past the the marketplace and sees this woman who's just chained and she looks gaunt and she just looks just sad because she's a slave. And so he goes to her and he pays the price, more than the price, and she says, oh, thank you, sir. Now I'm yours, I'll do whatever you want. I'll just serve you all my days. And he says, I didn't free you just to be my slave. I freed you to give you freedom. Now go and live as a free person. That's what Jesus says to us, you know. I bought you at the price of my blood. And I didn't buy you to become slave to somebody else again. I, I bought you so you'd be free. Free to live a holy life. Free to live as a, a washed person. Free to live as a sanctified person. Free to live as a justified person. You're free to do what God wants you to do. So I'll ask you again, who are you? Who are you? Who are you? Who are you? I'm a Christian. I'm washed. I'm sanctified. I'm justified. I belong to Jesus. I, he lives in me by his spirit. He, he bought me. He owns me. Does that excite you? See, if that doesn't excite you, I want to say to you, forget everything I'm about to say tonight. Just switch off for the next 10, 15 minutes and just think about Jesus. Because if you don't understand that, you will never understand the rest of this talk. But if you do, then you are called to live differently. Remember Jean Valjean? He did not go back to his old ways. Fresh start. The beginning of his new life. And you saw that he was different, not just by what he said, but by the way he lived, the way he treated people, the way he chose to use his money, the way that he showed compassion and kindness, the way that he adopted his stepdaughter. The rest of his life he was lived as a changed man, a man marked by grace. And the problem in the Corinthian church was they'd forgotten who they were. They were proud, they were divided, they were arrogant, they were worldly, they were immoral. They assimilated to the world, they thought like the world, they acted like the world, they lived for themselves. And you end up with this crazy, messed up church. Look at two areas tonight, conflicts and the body. And Paul says, if you know who you are in Jesus, then sort out your conflicts If you know you're washed by Jesus, sanctified by Jesus, justified in Jesus, sort out your conflicts. Stop your fighting. Stop your bickering. Stop your little factions in church. It does not belong as part of God's kingdom. 
What you've got here is you've got two men who are claiming to be Christians. But verse 1 tells us they've got a, a dispute. That word there is just a, a small minor matter. Not a weighty matter. He says, how dare you go to the court? It's pretty crazy, isn't it? You've got these two men who stand in church on a Sunday and they're singing together and you know, they're praying together. And Monday to Friday they are slogging it out. In the public courts, fighting for their rights, fighting for justice, wanting to prove the other person wrong. And just to give you the context, in, in Corinth, the, the, the law courts were not private chambers. The law courts were in the public marketplace. It's like airing your dirty laundry down in circular key. And everyone is there and they're watching and thinking, I thought those two were Christians. But we love lawsuits, don't we? Do you know how many millions of dollars are spent on lawsuits in this, in this city? Michael could probably tell us. <laughs> These are some of the craziest lawsuits I found. Terence Dixon was leaving a house he just finished robbing by way of the garage. But the automatic door opener was broken and the door into the house was locked. And the family was on vacation, so Mr. Dixon found himself locked in a garage for eight days. He stayed alive on Pepsi and a large bag of dry dog food. But he he successfully sued the owners for stress and was awarded half a million dollars. This is the best one, okay. Mrs. Krasinski was awarded $2 million in in damages. Mrs. Mrs. Krasinski purchased a brand new 32-foot motorhome. On her first trip home, she drove onto the freeway. She set the cruise control for 120 kilometers an hour and calmly left the driver's seat to go back and make herself a sandwich in the kitchen. Not surprisingly, the motorhome left the freeway, crashed and overturned. And she sued the car company for not advising her in the owner's manual that she could not make a sandwich in her own motorhome whilst it was driving. And she wanted $2 million. It's ridiculous, isn't it? But we love it. We love court cases. We love fighting from the criminal cases down to the small claims, the minor driving offence. And we bring that into church, that kind of that mentality that, you know, you've got to fight for your rights. You've got to get justice. You've got to be proved to be right. And Paul says to the Corinthian church, how dare you? How dare you take petty disputes? See what he says in verse 2? The the smallest cases, or or verse 3, ordinary matters. Or verse 4, cases pertaining to this life. Let me be very clear. He, He is not talking about criminal matters. I want to be really clear on that. You know, if, if there's a criminal matter in church, if somebody has abused someone physically or, or sexually, that, that's a criminal matter. If someone's murdered somebody, if, if somebody has, I don't know, they've, they've stolen in some way, in a, in a criminal way, then we can never sweep those under the carpet and keep it within the church, can we? That's what courts are there for. The Bible is very clear, Romans 13, that the secular courts are a good thing. They've been put there by God. We need 
justice in our land. They're there to make wise counsel, to give good decisions. We need lawyers. But he's not talking about those matters. He's talking about the, the petty disagreements and conflicts within church. But they never happen, do they? Wouldn't happen in this church, would it, that somebody said something which I found offensive about two years ago and I've held it against you for the last two years and it's escalated and escalated and escalated and before you know it, we're not talking to each other and we're fighting and we're slandering. Wouldn't happen here, would it? Someone borrows something of yours and doesn't return it, but rather than having the boldness to say, hey, remember that DVD that you borrowed two years ago? Could I have it back? You take offense at that and you think, oh, they don't like me and they've offended me. And you, you sit here in, in the same service and you, you're just at war with each other. That wouldn't happen here, would it? Someone sends an email that is ignored and no one replies to it. And rather than saying, did you get my email? You automatically jump to the conclusion that they've got the grudge against you. That's the kind of things he's talking about. Small, petty matters. But it's amazing how quickly those small things become big, isn't it? Now you go home and it escalates in your mind and before you know it, it's like Mount Everest. And Paul says, no, you're a church, you're Christians, you're washed, you're sanctified, you're justified, you are brothers. That's the word he uses in verse 5, you are family. So surely you can resolve this within the church family. He reminds them in verse 2 that there's going to be a day called Judgment Day. I don't get verse 2 either. Don't, don't you know the saints will judge the world? He's talking about Judgment Day. And if the world is judged by you, are, are you unworthy to judge the smallest cases? If you read your Bibles, in Daniel 7 and Matthew 19, it's this bizarre thing that's hard to get your head around. But on the last day, the holy ones, the saints, the believers will be seated around a throne with Jesus. And in some way, we'll be involved in the judgment of the world. But the point is, you know, when you think about last day judgment, often that puts your petty disputes into perspective, doesn't it? A few dollars or... A bit of land or a nasty word. They're just trivial matters, aren't they? I love the sarcasm of, of verse 5. It says, Can it be that there's not one wise person among you who's able to arbitrate between his brothers? Now, the irony is that the Corinthians think they're so wise. They claim to be wise. He says, surely there's one person, one man, one woman in church who can sit down with you and resolve this conflict. That's what you've got to do, isn't it? You've got to find that person where, you know, when it's kind of like all, all conversations have been exhausted. You ever had those conflicts where, I know I have, where, when you're in the midst of it, you are almost, almost blind to the other person's point of view and you're, you're blind to your own sort of uh, doggedness and you just don't listen to each other. And you need to bring a third person is who will help in to help you say, that's not what he's saying, that's not what she's saying. And to help you to get that path through it. And he says, think about your witness, verse 6. Don't do your dirty laundry in public before the unbelievers. 
And it's pretty sad, you know, when the only time that the believing, the unbelieving world sees believers is when they're fighting with each other. He says, verse 7, you may win the dispute, but you've already lost. It's a moral failure. I know two Christian businessmen who used to be part of this church. This is many years ago, and they went into business together, and it's always a bit dangerous, that, isn't it? And, you know, there's problems start, and it festers, and before you know it, there's, they're not talking to each other, and they're fighting over money, and they're fighting over the property. But rather than you know, go to the outside courts, they brought in a mature, wise, godly Christian. And for weeks after weeks after months, they sat down and they talked and they discussed and they arbitrated. And the amazing thing on that story is that they left after a few months saying, you know, I forgive you, I am sorry. And there was reconciliation. Because I hope you know that's one thing that the secular courts are not seeking to do. The secular courts want to bring justice. That's right, isn't it? And they want to bring a verdict. They want to bring some right punishment. That's the right thing. But we in the church, we want to bring reconciliation, don't we? The two people together again as family, as brothers and sisters. So I'm here to say to you, resolve your conflicts. I I don't know what your conflicts are. I don't know the people who have hurt you, the people you're holding grudges against. But please don't let it fester. If you need help, if you need help, then come and talk to a, a third person. Say, can you come and help us? I find verse 7 very challenging. He says, why not rather put up with injustice? Why not rather be cheated? What he's saying there is that you know, it may get to the point where all discussion has dried up. And you just have to be wronged. You just have to accept that, okay, I'm never going to be shown to be right in the situation, but that's okay. You know when he says, why not, in verse 7? I think I could, I could come up with a thousand reasons why not. But they all have the word I, me, or my in the sentence. Well, it's my reputation, it's my rights, and it's my money, and I've been treated badly, and it's unjust. And it may be, you know, it often is. But Paul would say, remember Jesus? On that cross, did he stand up for his rights? Did he insist on getting his own way? He didn't retaliate. He entrusted himself to him who judges justly. I've had a situation in this church where it just, it just could not be resolved between me and somebody else. And I had to say, you know, just, okay, Father, forgive them. And Father, show me where I've been wrong. It is better to suffer and better to be wronged and to always just be pushing for, for your justice and your rights. So please stop fighting. Please seek help. Please learn to be like Jesus and maybe just be poorly treated against. 
I don't mishear me. I'm not saying we get trampled on, but I'm saying we just need to seek reconciliation. But there might be times where we can't. But for your own good, let it go. Don't let it eat you up. Because you know, who are you? Don't let that, that dispute define you. You're a Christian. You're washed. You're clean. You're forgiven. I love this quote by Henri uh, Neuwen. He says, Jesus says, let go of your complaints. Forgive those who loved you poorly. Step over your feelings of being rejected. And have the courage to trust that you won't fall into an abyss of nothingness. But you will fall into the safe embrace of a God whose love will heal all your wounds and bring you ultimate comfort. Maybe that's you tonight. You need to just let go. Forgive. And then just run into the arms of Jesus. Now, do you see who you are actually changes the way that you live? Secondly, and much, much more briefly, honor God with your body. Because if your body is connected to Jesus, if your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit, it matters what we do with our bodies, doesn't it? This body is not just animal tissue. We have a soul. We have a soul and God cares about what we do to our bodies. The catch fire of the Corinthians was there in verse 12. Everything is permissible to, to me. You ever heard that? I'm free to do what I want. No one can tell me what to do. I'm free. Everything's open. If it feels good, just do it. What does Paul say in verse 12? Yeah, okay, but not everything is helpful. Not everything is beneficial for your relationship with God. Not everything is beneficial for your body. Now, everything is permissible for me, he says. Verse 12. But I will not be brought under the control of anything. Because the thing about our bodies is that they, is that they, they very quickly give in to some sort of addiction. Their sex is addictive, you know. You know, when, when God says in, in his good word and in his kindness, he says, no, I'm giving this beautiful gift called sex. I'm going to create you male and female and, I, and give you this gift called sex. I'm going to create this thing called marriage where the two become one, that expression of, of your sexual union. And God was wise there and God was kind there, but when we abuse that, and when we start to have sex with whoever we want, whenever we want, because it feels good. I'm free to do what I want. What you end up with is a trail of hurt, betrayal, brokenness, loneliness. And it enslaves you because you just want more and more and more of it. He says in verse 13, the body is not for sexual immorality. Use your body for the Lord. Think about what you do with your body. Because it belongs to God. And God will raise it up on that last day. Don't you know, verse 15, remember this, friends, that your bodies are part of Christ's bodies. 
Don't believe the world that says, it's my body, I'll do what I want. It's not your body, it's God's body. It's a temple to the spirit. Oh, no one knows about it. Well, God doesn't know about it. He lives in you. You know, at the time when you close your doors, you think, oh, no one's watching me. God is watching you. Oh, I can just dabble with that internet porn because it's private. No, it's not. God is there. They were members with Christ, verse 15. Should I take a part of Christ's body and make it a part of a prostitute? Should I join myself with this person that, that I have no relationship with? That's ridiculous. So please, please, please honor God with your body. And the way you do that is in verse 18. He says, flee, run. I hope, I'm, I hope you hear me gently here. I don't mean to sound harsh, but I'm concerned that we think that we can just dabble and we think that we can get as close to the line as we possibly can without offending God. And God says, no, that's ridiculous. Run as far as you weigh from all those temptations. Run as far as you weigh from the people and the places where you know that you're going to succumb to that temptation. Don't dabble. Flee. Run. It's the same word used for Joseph fleeing Potiphar's wife. Remember that? He just got out of there. And you know, you know your weak points, don't you? You know the person who might cause you to stumble. You know the places that might cause you to stumble. You know that, don't you? Please don't think, you know, I'm strong enough. You're not. Don't dabble, just flee. Why? It's not law, is it? It's an identity issue. Your body belongs to Jesus. Your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit. You, you were bought at a price. Therefore, verse 20, glorify God in your body. I want to finish by reminding you. The film Les Miserables ends with Jean Valjean looking back on his life. And that moment when he was shown grace and that moment when he was shown mercy had utterly transformed him. And there are people... There are people who have been the recipients of his kindness and his grace and his mercy. All because he knew who he was. A new person. A redeemed person. A forgiven person. And I'm just here tonight to say, when you know who you are, then you be who you are. When you know who you are, then you live as the person that you are. Who am I? Who am I? Who am I? I'm a, I'm a Christian. I'm washed. I'm sanctified. I'm justified. I'm redeemed. I'm restored. I'm forgiven. Now that excites me. We're going to pray. I'll kick us off. We have an open prayer tonight. I'll pray for some of those things. And then over to you to pray, and then we're going to finish our time of open prayer by saying the Lord's Prayer together.
Father, thank you. Thank you, Lord God, for your amazing grace to us in Jesus. Thank you that you washed us, you sanctified us, you justified us, you redeemed us. Oh, Lord, my head just can't comprehend what it means that I, I belong to Christ. But I do. And Lord, I, I, I pray that the way that we live as church, we live as individuals and as members of this church would show that we are washed and sanctified and justified and redeemed. Uh, Lord, forgive us. Forgive me for times when conflicts and disputes have escalated. Forgive us, Father, for times when We've held grudges for not just weeks, but for years. Forgive us, Father, for times when we say we've forgiven, but we haven't forgotten. Lord, make us a people who handle our disputes in this godly, family way. Lord, thank you that you've given us these bodies Thank you, your spirit lives in us. Help us to make wise choices with what we do with our bodies, please. In Jesus' name.